Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path. We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age. So parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Welcome back to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. My guest today, Sue, she's been that stressed out parent. Check this out. For starters, she's a mom to four children, which just happen to include triplets. She also happens to be married to a career military officer, which you know took him away from home many times throughout the years. And then on top of that, she's an entrepreneur of three different businesses. That's a lot to handle for anyone. And yet despite all of that, from those early stressful days, she's figured out over time how to get the job done as a parent with humor and wisdom. Now, if she can emerge through the parenting journey triumphant, well, I think there's hope for the rest of us. And you know, today we're gonna to explore just how to do that, how she's managed to figure that out. My guest, Sue Donnellan, is the mom behind the platform Ask Mom Parenting. She's also the author of the international number one best-selling book, and one which I think is pretty entertaining read, I'm sure. The Secrets to Parenting Without Giving a Fuck. She can help you end tantrums, eliminate backtalk, neutralize sibling fights, and building lasting relationships of lifelong trust and respect with your kids. Because in the end, that's what it's all about, right? Sue, so good to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jerry. It's fun to be here. Fantastic. So you started out with triplets, huh? Well, yeah, we started with our firstborn. I originally didn't, wasn't sure I really wanted kids, but I did marry a man who loves children and wanted kids. So I thought, well, one of the nicest things I could ever do for him is have a child. And so we had the one and shortly thereafter, it became fairly obvious that, you know, he needed a sibling because we were just chipping over ourselves, accommodating every need and it was not healthy. So we decided to have our second baby and in so doing two eggs dropped and one split and we ended up with identical boys and a girl. So we had triplets. I went from one to four kids immediately. Right. <laughs> reluctant, reluctant mom to over the top in terms of mom duties. So yeah, what were those early days like then? Oh, they were quite stressful. And the triplets in and of themselves were a lot of work, but our older one, we found that he was really ramping up the bad behavior, trying to get attention, trying to break into the bond of the three. He was doing all sorts of antics, trying to be funny, but hurting them, getting attention for making them cry. So in addition to all the stress of just everyday life, the dynamic between the older one and the triplets just made things even more tricky for us and for me, because my business is, has always been run from home. So I, I really had my hands full. Yeah. How was mom dealing with all of that, all of that craziness? Well, it was, it was stressful and I found myself yelling all the time. I, I remember my, my throat hurt from yelling because with our older one, as he ramped up the challenging behavior, I just found myself yelling because I, I didn't have a lot of experience with kids. I didn't have a younger sibling. I didn't know. I thought you just told them what to do and they did it. I had no idea that there was 
a nuance or psychology to raising children. I literally had no experience and no foundation from which to, to learn how to get things done. As our older ones started just really having me toe the line and, and challenge me, I was yelling all the time. And my husband said, you know, you're yelling. And I said, you know, I feel fully justified. I'm, I've got this, you know, wise guy at the, the triplets. I'm tired. I'm working, you know, you're deployed five times. But I felt justified in yelling, but the real turning point for me was um, my older one, when I would scream at him, like, you know, in his face, like, ah, you know, his eyes would just glaze over. And, you know, in one of my businesses, I'm a salesperson and I'm used to reading an audience and reading, reading a room. And I said, okay, wow, he's just glazing over at me. Like the words, it's like, nothing I'm saying is making a dent. Nothing is working. I got to up my game. And at that particular time, we had our older, our older child in um, kindergarten at Montessori school. So the Montessori school, their foundational principles are very, you know, self-directed, a lot of independent talk, a lot of just real creative ways of dealing with children. And they offered a book for me to read and a parenting class. And at that moment in that class, um, I was able to sort of grasp onto a couple of concepts that then I was able to, to turn into the methods and techniques that I then turn, you know, created for myself that were based on those foundational principles of just creating accountability and independence in the kids through a variety of techniques. And so that was the turning point was just noticing that my son was it wasn't resonating. Nothing was registering. My yelling literally wasn't doing anything. No behavior was changing. And as much as I tried to spend about four to six months arguing with my husband why I was justified to be yelling, I had to face the facts that nothing was changing and my yelling really wasn't doing anything. So that's when, you know, I read the book and I took the class and I started interfacing with other parents and I really started upping my game as to what I could do to come up with alternative solutions to get the behavior to be redirected. How old are your kids now? They are, so the triplets are 19 and my oldest is 22. Awesome. And how are they doing now? How's the relationship between you and your, and your Phenomenal. Children? That's the thing I'm probably most proud of and excited about is that the relationship is that my kids are now old enough to know, like for me to know that these techniques work it reinforces the relationship at every age. If I had my ideal parent, I would say, if I can grab a parent whose kids are four to five, the things that they're going to learn will carry them all the way through the teen years and the, the foundational principles that they'll learn about creating trust with their children, accountability and independence and respect, those will all be instilled so that by the time you get to the teen years, you know, I mean, yes, I had my moments, but for the most part, our kids tell us everything. We have, we're super close. You know, we partnered with them. And that's not to say that it's permissive parenting. It's, it's a partnership and that's a respectful relationship. Wow. Fantastic. So I was curious to, to ask you, so when you, when you hear the word parent or parenting, what, what does that mean to you? Parent really means now it means partner. It's not friend. And parent is a role model. Lately, as I've been mentoring more parents, I'm now really finding myself in this leadership also, um, this leadership role that we are providing. So the role model, but being leaders, but also just the partnership. Parents are partners. When you think about a partnership, whether it's with your spouse or in, in a business environment, how do we treat 
our partners. It's so respectful and it's so give and take. And it's so, how do we meet in the middle? How do we both progress forward so that we're all winning? And it just, you know, there are, my, my big thing is that we have boundaries, but we have freedom within the boundaries and it's creating the culture of the home to where you've got clear boundaries, but you've, you're allowing freedom within those boundaries. And what that does is that it creates a, a culture of accountability for the kids because they, they know the rules set, they know what the expectations are, but they're given the freedom to get there in their own way. And so the book, I do talk about that in the book about how to structure that in a variety of ways. So we're talking to, you know, if there's a parent right now who's listening, like, yeah, I've, I've been that yelling parent <laughs> more than yeah. I'd like, you know, and they'd like to get to that, that place where there is that mutual respect and accountability and, and where things are, there's clear boundaries. Where, where do they, where do they start? If I were to be mentoring a parent, you know, we start with where their challenge lies now. So if you're not creating a partnership with your child, it's going to manifest in a variety of ways, whether it's pushing curfew, pushing rules, talking back, throwing tantrums. All of these behaviors are, are boundary pushing and attention getting behaviors from a child. And so it depends on what the behavior is that the parent is experiencing. And then we discuss from there how to establish the partnership and respect in that environment. So focus um, on the... Whatever is currently on fire, if you will, right? Put, try to put, right. put up the, and put so up how the fire. Do we, yeah, on. yeah. And and then we we talk about how what methods and how. So my underlying message to parents with mentoring and in the book, the very first thing that we start with is is you as the parent. We're not fixing the child. So if the behavior is bad and challenging, it's not about fixing the child. It's about yourself. It's about asking yourself with self-awareness where you can change because your methods are not resonating and your methods are not working. So therefore you have to be made aware of new ways to get through to your child. That's, you know, I just like to pause right there because I think you just dropped a huge bomb, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You know, cause, cause I, I think that's really one of the biggest issues is looking in the wrong place mm -hmm. as parents so often. Right. So I'd love for you just to, in, in another sentence, just encapsulate that again, you know, where we need to be starting or what, what we're trying to do. So I think when you've got challenging behavior, if you're listening right now, I can't possibly predict all the different behaviors people might be dealing with, but if you, whatever your challenging behavior is, sit and ask yourself, you know, what is your response to that? So to become a better parent and to change our child, children's behavior, it takes self-awareness. So I have to be willing to A, acknowledge, like in my case, that my kid was glazing over when I was yelling. And then I need to acknowledge that no matter how much I feel justified, I'm not getting the results that I want. So if this behavior I'm doing is getting no result, then by default, another behavior will likely get a result. So I have to acknowledge that what I'm doing isn't working and that I need to do something different. So if a parent comes to me blaming anybody else, then I am not interested in working with that parent because blaming and ego, the whole first half of my book is about your relationship with yourself. And so once you get guilt 
and ego and you know those to being for sale if you stand for nothing and you're wishy-washy and you don't have you don't stand behind your rules your relationship with yourself is critical and then from there we move into the relationship with the child in the second half of the book and that's where we start partnership parenting and we start showing respect and we have a variety of other techniques that build so each chapter sort of builds on itself but i i would say that to where does a parent start? A parent starts by acknowledging and owning their part of being the adult, of being the role model, and of being the person who is initiating the words and the actions that your child is responding to. So we tend to think that our kid is misbehaving and we're receiving. It's the other way around. The child is receiving. The child is receiving our stress, our angst, our anger, our words, our whatever it is we're doing. So by acknowledging that you will only change behavior by changing yourself is the number one thing that we talk about. And like I said, if a parent isn't to the state of mind yet where they're willing, like my husband told me I was yelling, it took me six months to realize, you know what, I am yelling and it's not working. From that place of readiness, I was ready to then change, you know, what I was going to do about it. Yeah, so it's, it's ego can be really hard to, uh, it fights. It doesn't want to let go, right? I totally, totally get that. Sometimes we just, we have to reach that, that bottom point where it just can't get any worse from here. <laughs> okay, I'm ready now. I'm ready. You know, let's, let's change this. And that's, it's really interesting too, because I know in my own experience as a, as a parent, one thing that I've been trying to shift more is less saying and more modeling as well. Like I just easy point out, right? Like being consistent. If, if I have certain expectations or certain values or you know, certain ways of doing things, things for my kids I need to be modeling that first oh kids kids are the first ones the first line of defense as to calling you out on any inconsistencies and I will tell you my trick to that is we know we're human and we're not perfect but in in our case what I did was I had very few rules but the rules that I had were never deviated from and for example you know, yeah, I, I guess, and I use the word rules and expectations, I guess synonymously, but for example, curfew, I really didn't have a lot of rules, but my curfew was always 30 minutes before everybody else's curfew, because I mean, inevitably, if their friends are allowed to stay out until midnight, my kids had to be home at 1130. You know why? Because in that half hour, if I had a dollar for every time my kids heard, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened after you left, you know, it kept my kids just a little bit safer because a lot, the later they are out, the more the stuff that happens. So they had to be home at 1130 and that was a hard rule and one I would not deviate from and I wasn't for sale on it, but I didn't really have a lot of other, you know, we built the environment in the home for chores and things that that wasn't a rule. That was, that was an expectation. And we, and I've got a lot of, I guess, tricks as to how to get, I, I listened to your podcast about the chores and I have some suggestions about that, but they weren't really rules. They were expectations, but the rules are like, no, this is your curfew is this, and it's not to be deviated from. If they came home late, which really only happened, I'm not kidding, between four kids, less than a handful of times, but you know, they pushed it. They got busted back to nine because they obviously weren't ready for the responsibility. That's it. It's that simple. You weren't ready. And when you're ready, you'll earn it back. Done. You're home at nine. That's it. So I'm not deviating. I have very few rules, but the rules I have are hard and fast. And then the, the other back end to that trick is that when they pushed me on, on, well, everyone else gets to stay out until midnight, I was always able to say, you know what, your friends, you have 
very few rules, way less rules than your friends. They always had to agree. They always like, yeah, we trust you. We always trust you, but this is the one rule we have. And they always went, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. So it was that trust. It was that partnership. It was that expectation. It was the communication. It was all of that wrapped into one, but very few rules, but I don't deviate from them because that's where parents really, they really clamp down on control and that's where it goes wrong. Because kids just want to be free and independent. So you've got to give them the boundary, but independence within, you know, those boundaries. So just curious about, you know, times where maybe things aren't as clear, right? Like say, maybe you don't have a hard and fast rule, but something just doesn't, just doesn't seem in your mind to be perhaps a, like a healthy choice or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, a very common, very common struggle for a lot of parents these days is like with screens, right? Especially older kids and maybe there isn't like a, maybe you don't have a hard, fast rule, or maybe, maybe there needs to be one, but let's say a, a parent would like to see kids using screens a bit less than screens. So you mean like gaming and computer and stuff like that? Yeah. The basic philosophy that I have, which is literally the foundation to everything. And we can apply this methodology to everything. I really work in advance. You know, I'm big about like delaying gratification, you know, learning that you have certain things you have to do. And they see this again, back back to role modeling as an entrepreneur and a woman running a household. They see, I model that I get all my stuff done. I get the dishes cleaned up or the dinner made, whatever it is. And then I relax, you know, I earn it. So I am modeling behavior of doing what I need to do and then earning my time off. And so that's being role modeled in a leadership way to them in the home. But then my expectation for them is the same. So if, for example, I don't know, as young as your kids are doing chores, I was big about, depending on the age, working in advance, meaning depending on the age, say that they're you know 10 and older and you need the lawn mode. I was not, I had the expectation of the lawn get mode, but I told you on Friday, I want the lawn mode by Sunday. So my expectation is this, you're going to get that done, but I respect and partner with you that you are managing your own time. And because I respect you and because I'm partnering with you, I'm telling you what I want done. And here's the deadline I need it done by. Now, does that mean that by you know six o'clock PM that night, if the lawn isn't mowed, that I don't have to remind, of course, our kids are adults in training. So there's training involved when it comes to the screen time. I use the same philosophy of these are the things that I need done. And when they're done, you can have your screen time. And then I don't really manage it from there. If they're contributing and they're doing what I need done, then they earn that time. And then they have the freedom to to be on it. The problem that parents have is because they're reacting. So they're allowing the kids to be on the screen time and they're allowing the kids to be consumed with whatever activity that is. And they're reacting and going, you need to do this while the kid's on the screen, back it up and work in advance. So in the morning or whenever you find the problem, to, you know, on the weekends, say, hey, in the weekend, you know, I know you're going to enjoy more screen time, but here's what I need done before you get that. So work in advance and it's training. It's a, it's a training mentality. And when the kid is on the screen and he didn't get the thing done, you say, hey, we agreed you know, get the kids buy-in ahead of time. So then once they are done with the, the expectations that I have, whether it's the chore or the, the lawn mode or whatever it is I need them to do, then I don't worry about managing how much time they're on the screen, right? So that's something they have to manage. And curious too, like I noticed on your website, you have a, like a, a survey for, you know, trying to figure out your, your parenting 
Mm -hmm. So I'd imagine in each of these different situations too, right? There's more than one way uh, to handle it. Obviously you've got a particular style for yourself that, that works really well. How do you go about helping um, parents who have like, I guess, different thoughts around parent, or, or even like, what are, what are some of the different styles that, that you interact with in, in your work? I think what I really see is a lot of parents whose heart are, is in the right place, thinking that they're doing the right thing and not understanding why they're getting pushback from their child. A parent over and over and over again, you know, we've been conditioned generation after generation to think that we have to be controlling. We have to administer, you know, the punishment or the control or the, the timeline. For example, timeouts, not a fan. Okay. They don't work. So even if you've got a five-year-old and you're like, time out, you know, they do one little thing, time out, you're issuing the time out, you're issuing when they can come back in. It's all about control. It's not giving the child any autonomy or any ability to change a behavior or to have power over their timing. And I'll just give a quick example of when my older one went into the playpen with the triplets and he would make them cry. Again, that mentality of working in advance. So a couple of times that happens, I see the pattern emerge. And next time he says, can I go into the playpen and play? I say, wait a minute, what are we going to do if you make the kids cry? What should we do about that? I have a whole chapter on the power of we. What should we do about that? And he just looks at me and says, I have to come out. And I said, okay, all right, you're going to come out. And then what? I have to sit on the stairs. I said, okay. So he is the author of his consequence. In advance, I've worked in advance. I have an expectation that no one cry. I go, he goes in 30 minutes, seconds later, of course, someone's crying. I calmly see old Sue would have walked over there and started screaming because I was reacting. New Sue, who's working in advance, gets to calmly walk over and say, Matt, what did we agree to? If someone starts crying and then he says, I have to come out. And I say, okay, I'm not issuing time out. Go sit in the corner for two minutes. I'm the one in charge of how long you're sitting out and all this. Then I say, go sit on the stairs like you agreed to. And when you're ready to play without someone crying, now that's my expectation. When you're ready, you may join them. 10 seconds passes. Now, the temptation for the parents that I mentor is to control every step of this because they don't believe that a five-year-old can issue their own consequence, be the author of it, and hold themselves accountable, right? But in this example, you've got a five-year-old issuing his own consequence and holding himself accountable. So when you're ready to get in and play without someone crying, then you may join them. And then he joins them and it's done because I worked in advance. I clearly, you know, communicated the expectation. And if he had gone in the second time and made them cry, all I had to do was go, what did we agree to? I think you're going to have to have some time alone a little bit longer now, but I'm not controlling. I'm not, you know, so to answer your question, the parents think we're doing the right thing by getting on our kids about grades, by getting on our kids about whatever chores they have to do or any punishments. When you're parenting from a partnership perspective and from a respect foundation, none of those things need to be done. So you're giving the boundary of, I want the lawn mowed, but you have all weekend to do it because I respect and trust you to manage your time. When a child that's 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 hears those words and feels that respect, let me tell you, I mean, that relationship is solid. You're, there's a, a relationship of trust that is mutually exclusive at that point. I guess one thing I'm curious about, I mean, that's really great examples. I really appreciate that. I think, um, I think that's really helpful for, for all of us, certainly for myself too. Like, oh, good. Just thinking about some, some scenarios uh, I've, 
had uh, going on from time to time. As I get older, I guess one thing I'm curious about in particular is, right, it's become, they've had a little more adult and training time. So like teens, for example, is it okay for a child to say no? Wait, if you have a request, I mean, what, I guess what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, you know, it depends on the request, but yes, because if you want to have a relationship of trust with your child, so if I were mentoring you, I would say, why are you afraid of the word no? Why are you afraid of asking your child why they don't want to do that? Like I have an example in the book and I had mentored a mom who was really pushing one of her kids to be friends with this kid, single mom. She had the son half the time. She was like trying to, she thought he was lonely because he was never hanging out with friends. And she's, she decided he was lonely. He kept saying, no, I don't want to be friends with this kid. Well, he's the, the mom is controlling this. Come to find out we, and I had her delve into it. Ask him why communicate with your child. If he's saying no, respectfully say, well, what is it about this task or this request that you don't like? And how can we both win here? That's partnership. And in this case, it came out that the kid had a bad feeling about this other friend, but he, that the truth of the matter was that he said, mom, I don't want, I really like being home alone with you. I like spending time with you. I mean, that was blew her mind because she had decided through her parental wisdoms, right? That she was deciding why this kid was acting, wasn't meeting with friends and wasn't going out. He was like 14 and he just felt comfortable and safe at home with his mom. So that was so when we mentor, yes, it's okay for a kid to say no, but if it's coming from a place of respect and partnership, it's not a no, because it's like, no, I won't do it. A, a kid yeah, gently a pushing back. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you're so sick of an example of like mowing the lawn, right? Maybe they just really hate mowing the lawn and it'd be an opportunity to have a, a conversation around that. Well, okay. So if they don't like mowing the lawn, part of me is like tough crap because one of us has to do it. Or I might say, all right. You don't like mowing the lawn, but I need the whole house vacuumed. So choose. Now, respect and partnership says, okay, you don't like mowing the lawn, but I also have to vacuum. Which do you want to do? I'm still winning. I'm still getting the child to do something, right? Sure. So you're still working together. Yes. And that's partnership. And I think it's really one of my beliefs around, you know, parenting is that being able to learn how to, to say no to, um, to adults, right? I mean, the safest place to do that is, is in the home. I mean, we don't want our kids not being able to say no to you know, other people outside of our family in situations where they really do need to say no. So I think the way to develop a healthy way to work through situations where you have to make a decision is, is to have that almost like the ability just to play and practice in some ways. Again, in the front part of the book, I've got a chapter on letting go of control and ego, right? What I'm going to put back to the parent, if in this conversation is, why are you afraid to hear the word no and have a dialogue with your son from a respectful standpoint? Are you, why are you trying to control the situation? And why do you care which chore he does? And, you know, if you're hearing no and you're bristling, would you bristle from your friend? Would you bristle from a, a work colleague? So it's their adults in training. And when we, when we treat them as such, all the other rebelliousness goes away. It really yeah. does. And I, I think that, and, and you know, what you're saying earlier, it's not just what you say, but it's your whole presence, right? They can, mm -hmm. sense, they can sense that if, if they're, if they, they can sense if you're, you're treating them as, you know, a, another person with valid needs and concerns and ideas and, and thoughts, that'll, that, that shows through just in your presence. So 100%. Yeah. Just giving them that trust and telling them that you trust them. You know, sometimes we have to say it, even if we don't feel it at the moment, 
But as we're training our kids by telling them, I trust you, oh, they become that. And in my case with our kids, you know, trust became the one thing they didn't want to lose. It's free. I mean, it didn't take control from me. It didn't take yelling from me. It didn't take punishing. It didn't take grounding them, taking the keys to all of these things are control methods that parents do, you know, with the best intentions and the more they do it. So that's why I named the book what I named it because it's counterintuitive, right? So it's counterintuitive to let go of control. It's counterintuitive to trust and respect your child, even though we think we respect them, but our actions of controlling are showing them a different message. And that's why we're getting pushback and rebellion. So I'm really curious too. I mean, you started out as a, you know, someone who didn't want to have kids and then you got thrust into <laughs> full on and, and more, you know, even more as a parent. And, and now you're, you've kind of dedicated, you know, much of your, your time and your, your life to, to serving other families and, and dealing with, you know, their challenges. What's the why for you in, in all of this? What, what keeps you going? Well, I love it. I have a real, if, if I didn't end up getting a business degree, I would have gotten a psychology degree. I love ever since I was young, I've been a, a student of of people and watching and just interested in what makes people do what they do and why. And I've been an observer. And uh, once I had the kids and I got over my own ego and need to control, because I'm a type A, you know, entrepreneur, control, control, control. I had to overcome that, right? I had to overcome all of that. And so again, I had to change. Once I got all that out of the way, I was free to use the psychology and my, you know, my intuitiveness and kind of connect with those gifts that I have and apply it to parenting. And it was so much fun. I, I that, that's the why I really loved having a unique relationship with my kids that none of their friends had with their parents, even to this day. And I feel like it's a gift for me. And I like sharing that with parents because it's easy when someone explains to you the philosophy of, of this and you get the hang of it, once a parent sees how easy it is to sort of neutralize all that rebellious behavior through these techniques, it makes me so happy because we really ruin our kids. You know, we end up getting into fights and all this angst and stress and it doesn't have to be. So that's the why for me. I just like to be able to help. Yeah. And I think especially right. I mean, that, that's amazing. You know, it, it, it's, you know, you said something that resonated with me and I think with a lot of the guests that I have on the show is they're bringing approaches that a lot of parents aren't aware of. And it's just a matter of understanding the systems behind things, right? I mean, my background mm. is in management consulting and you know, whether it's marketing or processes for building software, whatever it is, it's understanding that everything is, is, is a system. And once you understand you know, yes. effective yes. ways to work within it, yeah, then it gets, yeah. It gets so easy, it's, right? That is the, tr- see, and that's the thing that I'm saying, it's working in advance. So it's not reactive and that we spend all our time reacting. And if we flip that script and understand that we're reacting to what we perceive them to be doing, if we're backing it up and working in advance and and setting those expectations and then treating them with respect and giving them that time to formulate their, you know, I I respect your time. So therefore I'm going to tell you Friday that you have the whole weekend to get the lawn done or whatever job it is. And, and you even saying those words, I know you're busy. I know you're busy. I know you've got stuff going on. So I need you to do this by Sunday. Like you can be sure that a child is going to really appreciate that. Or if you need say like a table built, Hey, instead of saying, Hey, junior, get over here, help me. You know, Hey, I've got a table to build. When do you have some free time to help me? 
it's not that hard. It's the way we would talk to a friend, but yet why do we feel that we have to issue these controlling statements to our children and then be angry when they push back? And all the more important right now when we're, you know, we're spending so much more time together, right? So yeah. it's a challenge and really, you know, a great opportunity to not only um, improve relationships, but when I think about, you know, the title of our podcast, you know, the modern education movement, I mean, education is so much more than the formal stuff. And to me, yeah. it's, 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 you know, a lot about what we're talking about here today, you know, that is as foundational than just about anything when it comes to helping a, a child to become, you know, the person they, they can be. So it's so important. Yeah, I, I really love that you have a podcast dedicated to this subject because you're right, there are a multitude of ways for parents and educators to reach children in productive ways that really make a difference, that, that they can still keep learning and just keep that environment of learning open in, in a creative capacity. I think it's just, it's, it's a really helpful subject matter. Any, any final thoughts you'd like to share to parents listening out there? If you're dealing with challenging behavior, it's a lot easier to, to turn that around than you ever thought possible. It's just an awareness. It's a mindset. It's really kind of a functional parenting mindset. And once you get the hang of it, it's like a foreign language, right? If you practice it, it becomes easier and better. Once you're made aware of how to work in advance and how to respond within a framework of whatever behavior is upsetting you in that moment, you can apply that same mindset and behavior toward all the other. That's why I say, if I get a child, if I get a parent with children at five to six, this methodology carries all the way through. And, and, and even if, it, if I get somebody with teenagers, which I have a lot of parents that have teenagers, the whole concept of building trust it might take a little longer because the kid might be suspicious, but it's possible. So my message is just that it's so possible and it's easier than you ever thought. Yeah. And, and so worth it. Awesome. Sue, so, uh, where, where can people find your, find your book and, and maybe get in touch with you and, and see how that you can help them? Well, they can go to askmomparenting.com and I have a 20 minute free consultation. So if somebody wants to just get on my schedule and meet with me for 20 minutes, we can sort of troubleshoot what's going on and decide if there's more value I can add to, to do some mentoring or even in the 20 minutes, you might get what you need. So askmomparenting.com and then uh, Amazon has my book. I've got a link on my, on my website, but also amazon.com has secrets to parenting without giving a fuck. So awesome. And we'll put, <laughs> we'll put links in the show notes as well. So people can yeah, thank you. This has been really great, Sue. I certainly learned a lot and uh, I'm sure the listeners have as well. So thanks again for, the, for your gifts that you're giving to the world, for families, for helping to create a, a world where um, kids can, can thrive and families can live. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Jerry. And thank you for having me on.